who is joining us for our very last Connectal conversation of 2019 and actually the last one of the decade, which feels quite frightening on the one hand, but quite exciting on the other hand. Um, and we have a real treat in store for you today. So for those of you who are new to Connectal, perhaps you haven't been here before, Connectal is a platform for conversations about the future. There are many different conversations on the platform if you'd like to go and dig in and have a look around conversations about the future of work. And my channel is about regenerative business. So today in our last Connectal conversation, we're talking about what is one of the biggest industries on the planet, which I didn't realize, which is the tourism industry. And I'm really thrilled to have three incredibly well-informed guests about where the future of tourism is going. Um, but just some simple stats, which kind of blew me away. So the tourism industry in 2018 was $8.8 .8 trillion of an economy. That's an enormous economy. It accounts for one in 10 jobs around the world and it's defying uh, growth. It's uh, 3.9 to 4% growth per annum, which is above the global average for any industry at all. Um, it transported 1.3 billion people in 2018, and it's expected that there'll be 1.8 billion people journeys by 2030. But, uh, and I guess when you think about those statistics, we can understand that, that in our current circumstances, of climate change and existential threat that may not be fully sustainable. And, and though the travel industry has had a platform of sustainable travel for maybe, I think 10, but my panelists will correct me, 15 years through the World Travel and Tourism Council, looking at things like climate and the environment and destination stewardship, we're talking about something new today um, which is a, a movement towards something called regenerative tourism. So I'm going to invite my guests uh, to introduce themselves one by one now um, and just say a little bit about what this shift is. What is regenerative tourism and why do we need to move on from sustainable tourism and just give us a snapshot of what you think regenerative tourism is about and and Anna, since we first connected on this subject, I'm going to ask you to kick us off. My business is called Conscious Travel, and I've been working in the tourism sector now for almost too long, um, certainly longer than I really want to confess to, but uh, since the late 70s. Um, and I've been a consultant mostly to tourism destinations um, and been doing research and strategy and that kind of thing. Um, I have worked in sustainability and been encouraging this concept of sustainability for some time. But after the global financial crisis back in 2008, I got really interested in what was going on at a deeper level in terms of uh, consumer shifts and things like that. So that uh, my analysis really of the situation was that if we continued business as usual, which is growing at the pace that you were just describing, Jenny, um, since we use resources and we produce wastes, we could be heading for a bit of trouble. So it's only in the last, despite the fact that people started talking about sustainability as way back in the 1970s, 
I would suggest that it's really been quite marginal until the last five to 10 years. Um, so many people in the industry are talking about sustainable tourism now going mainstream. We're talking about a step beyond that um, because when you ask people, what are you sustaining? You find out that really we're sustaining business as usual. The way that we've done tourism over the last uh, 50, 60, 70 years, uh, the model has stayed the same, but what we're trying to do with sustainable tourism is reduce its impact. So sustainable tourism is a greener, cleaner version a less harmful version of business as usual. So my issue is that business as usual is something that really is passe. Um, it's not going to work for us, even if we try and make it greener. Regenerative tourism, therefore, is much bolder and I think more inspiring and more likely, in fact, to, to um, encourage people to take the leaps that we need to take. So regenerative tourism aims not just to do less harm, but to go on and restore the damage that our system has already done to the natural world. And by working with the natural world, working with nature's principles, um, partnering with nature in effect, to, to create the conditions for life to flourish. So it views our world uh, not as a machine, but as a living system. It views the people in it as living systems, not as units of production and consumption, it views holes and not parts. It sees us as connected. So it, it's based on a very different set of principles and a very different way of looking at the world. So it's very new and it's, um, it's very exciting because I happen to think it is more inspiring. It will get the change we need. Um, but it, as I say, let's, let's uh, recognize that people are only just beginning to, to understand what it means. So apologies for the long introduction, but uh, at least we've set the stage. Okay, well, that's, that's fantastic. And uh, as I'm sure uh, anybody who's watching this will have noticed, um, Anna has uh, to, to the left of her, her picture at 007. So we know that we need to pay attention to what Anna is actually talking about here. So um, Elke, I'd like to introduce you. Elke is from Visit Flanders and, has, uh, and Anna, I think you and Elke have been working together. So what's your perspective Elke from a point of view of a destination about you know where you think tourism needs to go and why it needs to move to a regenerative model well hi everyone uh, live from belgium um, i am responsible for tourism in flanders which is a north part of belgium and i'm also chairing the marketing group of European Travel Commission and we together with all the marketing managers of all countries in Europe we collaborate on the same tourism strategy and I think we've all done a great job as place marketeers both in, in Europe as in Flanders with average growth rates at 6% until 10% much higher than continents like USA and Australia and we got rewarded for our results uh, also by our politicians who usually see tourism as an, an, an driver for economic growth. But, and here's my answer to your question actually, at the same time, we started to see the perverse effects of our success for our local people, for our heritage, for the quality of living in our place. You know, the typical examples in Europe with cities like Venice and Barcelona, 
So my interest in regenerative tourism actually started only recently because truly we were doing a great job as place marketeers and we only saw the positive effects of tourism as what we did. And when you realize you're no longer creating true value, you know you need to change something. And the good thing is that I think marketing is not about fantastic campaigns or stimulating growth in consumption. I think marketing is really about creating value. So I think it's time, it's about time, we as place marketeers also create value beyond this economical growth. And that insight introduced me into this regenerative thinking. And of course, also Anna introduced me to the regenerative thinking too. Thank you, Elke. Tina, let me come to you. You're in Ireland, so we're very international this evening. Um, give us a sense of what that's beginning to mean in Ireland. What's, what is changing in terms of tourism in Ireland? Um, I think, as Anna said there, the whole idea of regenerative tourism is really very, very new. I would say that in the last maybe year in Ireland, sustainable tourism, as Anna would have described it as well, has really started to take centre stage. Um, and, you know, the industry as a whole is trying to really figure that out and take positive action and um, work individually as businesses and as destinations. I think the discussion on regeneration on a type of tourism that goes beyond just sustaining what's there is is very fresh and very new. Um, I think probably my, my own background or how I would have um, got involved in this discussion at all was um, a number of years ago in the Burning Cliffs of Motor Geopark here in the west of Ireland. There was a European funded project through the LIFE programme, um, a pilot programme, demonstration programme under the, um, the objective of tourism for conservation. So that was quite um, an innovative approach. It wasn't tourism for tourism or tourism to sustain, but how tourism could um, contribute to conservation and um, you know a more sustainable future. And we did not call that regenerative tourism at the time, but I think in, in hindsight, the principles and the values that went with that um, were very much moving towards that. And so a cohort of, you know, I would say collaborative partnership approach between businesses and stakeholders, the public bodies and agencies, the national bodies, really demonstrated they were able to achieve quite a lot, still, still not enough and probably insignificant to the overall scheme of things, but quite a lot compared to the rest of the industry. And um, so that's really my, my interest in this and to see where learnings we have already and insights from strategists, how that can start to transform the industry because undoubtedly it's on a path to transformation um, or, or needs to be. So let me just to, to, to kind of clarify for, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be in the tourism industry, so familiar with some of its challenges. But when we're talking about regenerative tourism, um, how, would you how would you list the kind of principles of what would be different in a regenerative tourism economy? Um, so are we talking about uh, a focus on regenerating place and land um, and, and the biology of the area in which we are uh, operating? Are we talking about regenerating the human spirit and the experience of coming to a place? Give us, can you give us a sense of 
you know, what the core principles of regenerative tourism would be and, and, and what would change? Uh, I think one of the, the key uh, differentiators, if you like, um, is that the current view of tourism is very much based on essentially the industrial mechanical production model um, that sees everything as, as, as parts. Even the environment is out there, it's an it. You know, we've got an environmental problem, it's an it. Um, so it, it, it does not see as regenerative thinking does and as new, the findings of ecology now prove to be reality is we're not machines. Human beings are not machines. We're not units of production and consumption in the way that our economics would suggest is the case. Um, we're living, living beings, we're life. And whereas the old way of thinking that supported the current model um, sees us all as separate, we're really connected and interdependent. So the regenerative way of looking at things includes and transcends, if you like, sustainability. And the best way to, do, to explain that is it's great we now have 17 sustainable development goals, which in and of themselves are each excellent but we presented them in 17 separate boxes, as if you could pick and choose a sustainable development goal that suited you. And in some respects, that isn't such a bad thing because it's drawn people into thinking about how to have less impact, how to be more sustainable. The challenge, however, is the world doesn't work that way. Our systems don't work that way. Everything is connected. Everything is a system. So although this sounds sort of theoretical, <laughs> it's actually very fundamental. So in answer to your question, does it do this or does it do that? Does it regenerate the land or does it regenerate the human potential? Um, does it enable people to be more than they currently think they're capable of? The answer is yes, it does all of those things in a much more holistic kind of way. Um, we're now just even beginning to think of how this would manifest itself um, and I can talk a bit, I don't want to dominate the conversation, but obviously this is a subject I'm kind of fond of. <laughs> but we are at a very early stage in trying to explain what this does mean to people. The very fact that we're having this conversation is exceptionally helpful, and I thank you for that, Jenny. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, in all aspects of regenerative economy, we're, we're, we're at, a, you know, a real starting stage. Um, I, I guess I'm just thinking in, in my head with, with what I know about the tourism industry, and I think we've established that's not a huge amount. Um, but if I think of a destination, so let's say a destination is a, is a city. Um, a city's job in current tourism thinking is about as attracting as many visitors as possible, who have an economic footprint um, and uh, enjoy a number of experiences. So if we were wanting a city to think in a, in a regenerative paradigm or a destination, how would we want a destination to think differently? And I think, you know, I, I'm guessing in Travel to Tomorrow, um, Elke, which was the conference that you hosted recently, this might be something that you and Anna looked at during that conference. So what, what, is, 
when we're talking about a destination and essentially we're talking about place making in a very different way what might that look like now and in the future uh because we, we with the travel to tomorrow uh movement as we call it we say that it's the destination communities that decide how tourism can really create value in the future so we think that it will be the communities and, and the, the place is it a city or a region it doesn't matter but they will determine the carrying capacity and also the growth that we want to achieve so can, can I just ask you, El Elke, sorry to interrupt, what do you mean by carrying capacity for anybody who doesn't know what that means? Okay, good question. So the carrying capacity is something that we measure and we ask people that live in a, in a place, in a city, for instance in Bruges, where they have a lot of, a lot of visitors, how is your sentiment towards tourism? towards tourism, how do you feel about these tourists being in your city, taking in your place, being in your shops and, and things like that. Eh? So that's what we mean with carrying capacity and we measure it like uh, every two years and we see how the sentiment is growing in the positive or in a negative way. Hmm? And we think it's, it's the locals that carry the capacity to, achieve, to, to actually welcome visitors. Yeah. Okay, so so that basically means it's a measure of the well-being and the relationship between the community and the incoming tourists that 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 has a, a an impact on how successful it can be as an industry. Both it, it, because I guess if you get to overcapacity, too many people, then it 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 becomes a degenerative rather than a regenerative impact. Indeed, indeed. And that's why we shifted actually with the Travel to Tomorrow movement from tourism as a goal on its own, you know, attracting more tourists. Uh, and we shifted towards tourism as a means where we think tourism can really benefit the local community, meaning the local inhabitants, but also the entrepreneurs and the place itself, you know, the heritage, because the heritage can also, it cannot speak, but it can suffer, you know? Okay. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, can, can you just, sorry, I'm, I'm starting to dig in now. What, can you explain a little bit more about that? How does the heritage suffer? Um, because if you look like an obvious example, like Venice, eh, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's a real life city. Huh? Yeah. Uh, but if you bring in cruise ships and it's like 3000 people on a ship that move into the city, they will somehow destroy the, the, yeah. the architecture, the buildings, yeah. Yeah, because it's not, you know, it's not meant yeah. to have and welcome so yeah. many people. So, and, and I think in Flanders, but in the whole of Europe, heritage is really important. Huh? Yeah. It's our history, yeah. it's our culture. And that's why travelers come to Europe to see this. Yeah. Now, if we are doing good, we are protecting this heritage. Huh? So that people that really find true meaning and that are really interested in our heritage can really enjoy it. To the full okay. extent and that's why we need to be protective on it yeah yeah i mean i and i think that's very topical particularly at the moment uh, obviously uh, people probably don't know that we're hosting from new zealand and i think we all have in our mind what has recently happened on white island in new zealand which is perhaps where you know uh, uh, an example of uh, what can go wrong when you have people in the wrong place at the wrong time and also brought to mind another destination to me that I visited in the late 70s um, which I just think of as the beach 
um, and I'm, I, I know it has a proper name, but I saw to my horror last year, it was shut down, closed to the public for a number of years um, uh, as a tourist destination. And when I looked at it, it was literally crawling with thousands and thousands of people. So I just wanted to clarify that idea of carrying capacity. I didn't mean to interrupt you, do carry on. I just have to understand. Yes, absolutely, because carrying capacity is really caring. It's about caring for your place. Eh? I think it's important. So what, what did we do? We said we are no longer satisfied with satisfied tourists coming to our destination. Eh? We want to provide meaning for people that are really looking at us and are traveling to our country for this meaning. So what is meaning for people? And here we have done some research. Eh? It's not just like having a nice holiday. It's about the capacity to transform people. It's about seeing things differently than how you see it in your daily environment. And research learned us that there are three kinds of ways to create meaning. And one is through a specific and meaningful, meaningful physical activity. For instance, when you climb top of the mountain, you can experience a kind of um, physical activity that makes you think differently than you did before. A second way to have a transformational travel experience is through a meaningful environment. And here in Flanders fields, we have these kind of battlefields of World War I. And I can tell you if people visit this place, they are really touched very deeply, very emotionally. And even people cannot talk for one year about this trip. So they really think differently. And I think when we, when we really touch the passion of people, we can transform people, we can really provide meaning. And a third, and it's the most important uh, transformative experience, if you ask me, it's a meaningful encounter with the locals. So the true power of tourism is to meet other people that you don't know from another culture that really have this deep impact on you, make you more tolerant, make you more resilient and make you look at this world from another perspective, a more beautiful and more social perspective. So I think that tourism really has the power to, to, to transform people. Um, I'm nodding vigorously with what Elke is saying there. And I think maybe one of the things um, you mentioned about Elke said tourism for tourism's sake. And I think as tourism developed, originally the purpose of tourism would have been and the assumption that it, that it benefits local communities and local places. And somehow as the growth model, you know, gathered its own momentum, that's kind of been forgotten where we have nations and destinations pursuing their target number. And maybe in the last few years and only in the last few years, also pursuing a target revenue. But for a long time, it was just the number. Um, and we've lost sight of the community side of things. And I think if I was to say anything about regenerative tourism, or I'm not even sure my version of it, um, is that working to ensure that there's the positive benefit for communities and their places and the heritage is what's been missing from the traditional model and possibly also the sustainable model and what i what i our, our experience in the burn we were looking up to go over four or five years is we started with that focus on sustainability and green and you know energy water waste travel um and it's heavy stuff, but it's also only one aspect. And you asked a while ago about the principles. We worked very, very hard to put words on the principles that were understandable and people could engage with. And with community, one of them was really quite important. We worked to ensure that the community benefits as much as well as the visitor. 
whereas tourism is really focused on benefiting the visitor, the industry. Yeah. Um, and the idea that we would work to ensure that, not just hope that happened. We've kind of hopes that happened, and then we see more and more examples, but actually the reverse has happened. But the other principles of, of the model, we kind of put it into a code of practice for tourism in, in our geopark, um, was the idea of working together, collaboration and the destination mindset. That was one, um, a well understood heritage back to Elka's point, heritage is your buildings and that, but also your intangible heritage and your cultural heritage. So that that's well understood and shared with our guests in the form of stories or interactions or connections. Um, well understood heritage, a cared for landscape, which speaks for itself, vibrant communities, strengthened livelihoods, and then sustainable environmental management which to me, sustainable environmental management became a subset then of a, of a, a wider thinking approach to tourism. So um, it was just in terms of language, we did put principles on it. And you asked that earlier about principles. I'm not saying they're fully correct, but at that time, it certainly expanded beyond green. And I would think that idea of why we have tourism in the first place must be about our heritage and our communities. And just the regenerative model takes that back into center stage, I think. So thank you. I had to jump in on that. <laughs> no, but I, I think that's a really important point because one of the things that that we notice, and, I, and I'm speaking obviously very specifically about the city experience um, today, is with the massive growth of globalization of the high street, it's sometimes quite hard to know where you are in the world today. <laughs> So we have lost, you know, I, I, Venice, we mentioned Venice earlier and Venice was the first place I went to on my own. It's my first ever travel experience and I was so excited. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not a retail-aholic as I was then. I, <laughs> I am a reformed retail-aholic, but I was so excited to, to, to discover Italian design, to discover printed silk fabrics and things that we didn't have here in the UK. And that was part of um, my cultural experience was discovering a whole different world, not just the buildings, but the food and the, uh, the, the, the products that, that were on sale. And I can get that on any old high street now. Um, so in a way there needs to be a massive sense of renewal somehow in our experience um, and, and I think you're really on to something there where tourism gets integrated with the need to transform people's mindsets to think more about meaning and what we value seems awfully exciting to me as an idea. Yeah I, I agree with you Jenny. I mean if you look at the what is the purpose of tourism <laughs> you know there are two aspects to this, and I, I don't want us to forget there's a real commercial justification for us moving to regeneration. And I'm going to deal with that one first because we've spent a lot of time talking about what some people might say are, are nice, fluffy ideas, right? But there's a real practical problem in tourism right now, and that is because of its fixation um, on the industrial model and things like GDP and contributing to GDP and growing in numbers, that's its primary KPI. Did I get more visitors to this place uh, this year than last year? Um, but at the same time, what we're also seeing is because there's a, it's, it's a price competitive 
um, volume-based type model, when you look at the value of the transactions, um, you know, per trip, let's say, uh, whether it's airline fares or just the average amount that a visitor is spending in any destination, that's going down, right? But at the same time, the volume is going up because our KPIs say we have to grow. One of the reasons we have to grow, of course, is that we're getting far less per transaction. It's a, it's a sort of feedback loop in a way. Um, that is, is essentially potentially running our industry into the ground because the other problem is we're not currently being required to pay for the costs associated with that visitation. So we have, you know, that's why we've got problems in places like Barcelona. There are lots of hidden externalities or hidden costs that the tourism industry hasn't, hasn't had to bear. So one of the key objectives behind regenerative the regenerative approach is that we actually have to focus now on the net benefit that visitor economy brings to the destination. It's in the destination where those costs are actually having to be paid for um, and they're mounting as tourism has, has increased in size. So one of the things that we're, we're trying to get people to think about is not growing tourism by numbers, but growing it by net benefit. And because we're taking a much more holistic approach to what net benefit looks like, net benefit for the individual, that's the visitor and the employee and the owner, net benefit for the, the, the business and the community as a whole. And it's not just also financial, it's what are the social benefits, what are the cultural benefits of all of this. So we're calling that uh, giving it a name and it's 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 being used elsewhere quite frequently now and we're saying how can tourism help an individual a business and the community flourish or thrive and the reason for that choice of words is that it's associated with things that are alive and are living it has a sense of vitality to it but it's totally comprehensive so it goes back to your early question is it this or is it that no it's all of it um, it's, and that's why we're talking about flourishing destinations. So I, I'll pass it over to Tina and Elke to add to that if, if, if they wish. That, that word flourishing, I guess, is the important thing, the flourishing communities and the flourishing places, um, as well as and not only a flourishing economy. You know, the community, you can't have a flourishing community without a flourishing economy or place. That's it. I noticed in one of, one of the chat comments there, somebody has said, you know, um, the whole idea of taking a holiday, why don't we have places that we're happy to stay in? And that's kind of an interesting take on well, your destination being a great place to live and not a great place to visit. And um, so I think that word flourishing as well, I, I'm, I, I, I get a bit obsessed with the language, but it's also a much more palatable word for industry and stakeholders and visitors to engage with. You know, it's a positive thing to move towards. Um, it doesn't have the same scare factor that the sustainability word has as, as it's developed but it's a really really worthy goal um, and something that can motivate and inspire and i know um anna talks about the word inspire you know and what it means about you know bringing new life and breathing new life and that kind of thing i think that's that can really become integrated in, in a future looking tourism agenda and uh, I want, I'm wondering about, you know, it, it, in terms of what you're talking about, it's such a mindset shift from where tourism is 
today, and you know, and I, I, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking um, we're talking about um, flourishing destinations, um, but we're talking about an industry that doesn't necessarily have a way of measuring what that looks like or putting metrics against that. Is that part of how we would have to transform tourism is, is have different ways to measure its impact other than those that we've used in pure sustainability terms, for example? Yeah, I'll jump in there because it, it's, it is a, a, a very important issue. Um, again, the old paradigm is uh, of the machine paradigm um, is all about numbers and quantities. Mm. So the minute you start to move away from that, everyone says, how are we going to measure it? Um, but if, if you think of flourishing as being well-being, uh, which uh, everyone is now suggesting is, look at what Jacinda Ardern is, is saying, how does, how does every ministry contribute to the well-being of its citizens? That's exactly the same as flourishing. Um, we've got Finland, I think, and um, yeah. various other destinations now looking at it. The OECD is spending huge amount of money on how do we measure um, how do we measure well-being. So I'm quite confident that we're going to be able to find various measures um, if measures are going to uh, will be necessary up to a point. Um, I personally feel that uh, you know. <laughs> First of all, I, I, I crack this joke and it's not mine. It's a Michael Brangart joke when he looks at someone and says, um, you know, if I ask you how your relationship is, you know, with your loved one, your partner or something, if you say it's, um, it's sustainable, then you know you've got a problem because what's sustainable, right? But um, we need other words like Tina is saying, we need richer, more inspiring language to get people to want to move in a direction. Um, secondly, I think that the thing about the word thriving or flourishing, whether it's a community or a person or your child or your garden, you know whether it's flourishing or not, almost because you have all of the human sensory apparatus, you know, you've got your feelings, you've got your, your intuition, you've got your heart that tells you whether somebody is flourishing. Um, and I want, in, in a sense, what we're trying to do is to move away from this ob objectification of something into an it that you measure, into being part of a community, a living community, that you can sense and respond to. Um, and so, yes, I'm all for having some measures, but I don't want us to get stuck in the measurement, because I think we will lose these qualitative parts of it as well. Sorry, Elke. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, if I can, I would like to add uh, a reference to the game theory. And I believe that tourism should always be a positive sum game. So although currently we're seeing some effects, like negative effects, like our footprints, um, it's not a zero-sum game or not a negative-sum game where what is good for one party is bad for the other ones. So we're in our paradigm as seeing tourism as a trait. You needed to choose between what is better for me as a company or better for the world. 
I think companies are now capable to accomplish a positive sum game where both do not exclude one another. So I think it's no longer about just uh, value for our shareholders. It's about striving for a positive impact for the entire ecosystem and about creating value for everyone at the same time. So I'm sure that tourism can really be a, a catalyst for this positive sum game without going into depth about metrics, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, a, that, that's a, a, a really good way of shaping it. And as you were talking about it, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm thinking in my mind about East Africa. Um, and when you're talking about uh, a, a thriving ecosystem, um, so you have an enormous amount of wildlife under pressure. You have an enormous amount of growing of farming and agriculture, which is putting the wildlife under pressure. Um, we have growing economies in East Africa, which puts the region under pressure. So when you're actually talking about the carrying capacity, um, without it being about metrics, in some way, it is about having open discussions about saying, what is the balance here? What is the balance where the wildlife can thrive, the landscape can thrive, the people can thrive, the economy can thrive, and the, the, the whole ecology can thrive? Um, and I guess that's where tourism starts to become not an industry that's an island on its own, but has to integrate more widely with all of the other ecosystems that it touches, uh, like civic uh, pride, like how we live at home, uh, all those kind of things. Anyway, this, this is your show, ladies, and I'm kind of taking it over. <laughs> so let me hear what you think. Jenny, could I ask, and it's kind of towards Elke a little bit, but um, when we say metrics, we tend to automatically assume that they must be quantitative metrics. And I think the qualitative metrics, which Elke spoke about community sentiment, but also pride, for example, quality of your lifestyle, um, how that happened, you know, in Flanders, how that was received, for example, using consumer sentiment as a basis of decision making, because I think probably the qualitative metrics are going to be, well, they'll have to become more important in this kind of model. So they're still metrics, just not hard figures. Um, so I'm just interested in Elka's view on that. Okay, it's quite interesting because we, we do have some kind of a net promoter score because we want people to be proud, eh? like you said, civic proud of the people that live here. And we need this proud to be able for them to, to share it with the whole world. Eh? So we have these net promoter scores and we know that where, where we score high, where we score low. Uh, so we really are focusing more and more on our local people. Uh, while in the previous years, we only focused on the tourists. So I think it's a positive evolution and I totally agree with you. It's more qualitative, but it's very hard. You know, it's very hard because people and also politicians expect us to deliver on hard uh, quantitative metrics because they, they see tourism as an economic driver. Hmm? So it's it's really it's really for us to make them see that it's it's much bigger eh? and that's why i truly believe that this regenerative economy or this regenerative thinking can help us eh? um, now to come back to the question of jenny about uh, east uh, africa I'm, I'm very interested in it because I, I'm, I'm doing some 
development programs also like in, in Uganda. And um, I, I totally agree with you because what you see there is that they look at tourism also as an economic driver that will help them to develop their place and to bring in money. So what do they do there? They bring in American brands because they know that travelers want to have a Marriott there. Huh? So they bring in all these international brands while they don't even think about their own strengths, huh? their own stories. So I think that the real key is to help them and to, to build the capacity with them that they can grow on their own and, and they have so many stories to tell, you know, they are the people that live there. So while just copying what we have been doing, they should reinvent themselves. And that's why I truly believe in the regenerative economy, certainly for the most part of Africa. So, so we're looking at tourism as a way of reigniting the biocultural uniqueness of place. Um, so in that way, it's a real catalyst. Um, I, I'd just like to ask you all a couple more questions and then I want to go to our audience because we've got some really interesting questions coming in. Um, and I guess a question I'd like to ask you all is outside of yourselves, where do you see regenerative tourism starting to take root? Who, you know, we just talked about East Africa a bit there. Where, where do you see this starting to take root and being done well in the world? I know it's really new, but are there pockets of green shoots coming up? Um, yes, I've just come back from um, Mexico, um, where in Central America, I would say, uh, Costa Rica, um, Mexico, there's a, a many other and parts of Ecuador as well. Um, there is a, a real a sense of um, regeneration. They call it turismo regenerativo, if that's practicing my Spanish. Um, so there, there are a number of universities that are really focusing on this. In some places, it has very much of an, an orientation towards land regeneration. Um, but generally, it's as holistic as the, the framework that we're using here. Um, but I would say because of their, um, there's two reasons why. Um, they have a very uh, lively, strong indigenous communities. And when you look at indigenous values um, around the world, uh, which are fairly consistent, um, very much of what regeneration is based on the same values that indigenous people have been maintaining for literally thousands of years. They have that, they do not have a broken relationship with the natural world that we do. So it's interesting that uh, one of the first destinations that I've seen um, that is using regeneration in a strategy, for example, is, is the Bay of Plenty, where the, that, that near the, where the volcano is, has just um, erupted. Um, it's a region in, in, um, in New Zealand. Um, and again, it's the Maori influence that has really shaped that because they understand the need to take care of the land. It's, it's a stewardship concept um, as well as a human developmental concept. So those are the two places at the moment uh, that I would see. Um, here in Flanders, we've um, really focused initially on um, how do we help communities um, flourish, individuals in those communities, the businesses and so on, 
Um, we've used the metaphor of a destination being more like a forest than a conveyor belt, for example. And what can we learn from the natural world about how forests uh, uh, behave in a sense, how the, how the trees actually communicate with one another and look after one another, which is not the case in a tourism destination where everyone's fiercely competing with everyone else. So those are the, the hotspots that I'm aware of anyway. I, don't, yeah, um, I, think, I would say things like Tina's done in the Burren, it yeah. may not be called regeneration, but the fundamental principles that we're talking about have emerged from the discussions in that place because the people there care about that place. I, I think that also speaks to uh, something that one of our listeners mentioned. I was trying to scroll through the questions to find it, but I saw it pass by in my eye, which was a question about the relationship between regenerative tourism and regenerative agriculture. Mm. And it suggests to me that some of the destinations that you have just named there, um, where there is a, a coming together of that, that, that rising of regenerative regeneration as a concept in, um, from the land, but also from the tourism sector and from the indigenous people. So there are there are certain things that are coming together in certain places to right. to push this faster. Well, regenerative agriculture and tourism are a natural fit because the one yeah. thing that starts to get people interested uh, is this whole notion of well, obviously we're all interested in food. Um, so. The the, 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 the the concept of regeneration is actually much stronger within the agricultural community, but even there, you've got a situation of large numbers of small farmers that have been farming in a, in a way that is, is uh, in harmony with the natural world, and a small number of very big companies, which now uh, are being shown to be quite damaging. Um, so we've got a situation in tourism with a very large number of small, medium-sized enterprises trying to do the best they can and live within, you know, say sustainably. And a very large, a small number of large companies that are interested in just volume and they're, they're mm -hmm. tending to produce some of the problems. Um, so yes, there are some natural fit. Um, yeah. I think tourism and, re and agriculture will be working in harmony with one another if, if we pursue the regenerative framework. That, yeah, that, I think that's a brilliant idea. Right. As we're coming towards the top of the hour, I would like to bring on some of our listeners who'd like to ask questions here. Um, Benjamin. Okay. Um, my name's Benjamin Jansen. I'm from the Finger Lakes region in upstate New York, um, which is pretty interesting for the tourism. Uh, we're, some, of the, some of the towns are rather dependent on that outside income. Um, I have, a, I have a couple pages of thoughts and I'll put it to uh, the two questions I think I might have. Um, but I think what you had just said, Anna, about regenerative agriculture being a tourism attraction is great because there's a lot of people who want to learn regenerative agriculture and permaculture practices. I think that is an opportunity for people to go and learn ways of making their home a place that they would like to live um, and not need to escape. Um, one question that came up that um, I had was, if we're, if we're, if a community is dependent on uh, leisure income from other communities of denser population, denser income, and income of the nature of degenerative 
income that has benefited from the um, nonsensical global finance understanding of GDP, that, that sort of profit um, with externalities attached. Will that pencil out if, uh, if we're all dependent on like a boom bust tourism cycle, which characterizes Pulaski, New York up here, which is uh, the salmon come, but they're from fisheries rather than the ocean and the anadromous fish runs that go to the ocean and bring nutrients back. That seems like something that would be a regenerative tourism approach to remove the dams, which has already happened a little bit on the Hudson um, to allow these fish to come back and have that be a positive draw to the area. My thoughts were all over the place, but I'll leave that there. Thanks. Anna, I'm going to have to ask you to speak to that one because I think I think Benjamin, what you're what you're what you're alluding to there is a relationship between how we redesign tourism and how businesses that have a relationship to nature are done. Okay, um, I think there's there are so many questions in in that one question actually. Um, yeah, first of all, my my perspective again because I like the big picture approach is that every single sector of the so-called economy right now is going to be going through such a shift so this 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 shift towards a regenerative approach is 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 not just happening in agriculture it's happening and we have regenerative capitalism regenerative business regenerative economic development land development and so on um so that is because i think we move we have to move in that direction or we're not going to make it basically i mean we talk about breakdown and breakthrough so bear that in mind I, in in response to your question about how can sort of these um you know regenerative holistic uh, communities live when when they're dependent on on an economy that's degenerative and that's a perfectly you know legitimate question um I, I think the role that tourism is playing is, is not just to turn them into a tourism attraction, but as we provide opportunities for people living um, in, a, in, if you like, a, this, this extractive, I'd rather use the word an extractive economy than, than labeling it as degenerative. That seems awful harsh. <laughs> I was just um, doing the opposite of regenerative, I guess. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, it is actually because the current system is degenerating. It's, it's destroying life. But one of the roles that tourism can play is, is if, if, if we in the supply side of the sector are half awake and aware and are living in harmony with the natural world, then ideally we can be um, demonstrating that and providing opportunities for people to come and see it. The fundamental roots of the word hospitality um, is, is uh, the same as hospital. It's to make people whole again. So just by bringing people out into nature um, and helping them understand you know, more intimately how nature works can be a, have an enormous transformative effect. It's, it's not woolly and wishy-washy. It's, it's real. Um, the word recreation is, again, it's about recreation. It's not that difficult to regeneration. So we're in that business by the fundamental essence of who we are and what we do. What we're trying to do is, is raise that awareness of that into, into, into the consciousness of the industry, that it finds its real purpose in life, which is not just to, you know, turn a buck. It's to turn a buck and make people well at the same time.
Mm, I think I think that's a brilliant way to put it. Anna, Benjamin, thank you uh, for that question. I'm keeping a weather eye on time here. So I'm going to ask Bridget McKenzie to come on. Do we have Bridget with us? Yep, Bridget yeah. is from <clears throat> the heritage sector. So I feel fairly certain she's going to have a heritage question for us. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so I work a lot with museums and heritage organisations. Um, um, mostly people who are working with their communities and wanting to develop local audiences, wanting to develop, um, uh, uh, wanting to support local activists, you know, wanting to um, increase learning outcomes. Um, and often tourists are the problem. <laughs> so, um, you know, for example, we've worked with all of the uh, museums and heritage sites in Oxford for whom terror, uh, tourists are a real problem and they want to increase local stewardship and engagement. Um, and I also work with um, uh, professionals across the museums and heritage sector globally who are um, declaring emergency. And um, fate do, um, for example, we have a group called Museums Facing Extinction. So in that group, we're talking about stopping the harm, you know, looking for the big leverage points for example, you know, how can we all work together as a sector to reduce flight-based tourism or particularly long-haul flight-based Sorry to interrupt you, Bridget. I'm just keeping yeah. an eye on the time. Is that your question that you'd like That's to ask? The question is really, you know, how, does, how would the tourism uh, industry react or work with those of us who are sort of try not wanting to play ball? You know, we're resisting and wanting to say, let's work much more locally and, and end the harm. You know, how will that work? How can we work together? Thanks, Bridget. <laughs> okay, Elke, I can see you waving wildly. <laughs> yes, because I think we have a love and hate relationship with the people from museums, eh, Bridget? <laughs> it's no surprise uh, from tourism. But uh, as we say, uh, I think tourism really has uh, this, this, this potential, this positive um, drive for people to become more tolerant, more resilient, more open to other cultures. And that's why we need you to also be open and opening up to all other people that want to visit museums. Eh? And I think it's really important to, to keep that open mind eh? and not only be there for the local people, but really be there for all the people that are interested. Eh? So especially when you speak about long haul flights, I really ask you to 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 be open-minded in it because if people from uh, you know let's say auckland yeah? mara is from auckland and she's 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 here with us if she wants to visit your museum eh? let's welcome her because we can do some good there uh i i do agree with you that we must look at if there's a if there's a, a problem when there are really too many people visiting your museum and harming in it that we should maybe like try to to do something about it but as long as it as, as if it's not the case let's be very open eh? and and try to to bring a, a positive um um uh, try to be open and positive to all people that that want to to see what you have i think i, I That's think my it kind of does it, in a way, it feels like your question, Bridget, is back to the original thing that we were talking about, which is carrying capacity. You know, how do we deal with this notion of carrying capacity for an area, a town, a region, a museum? Uh, you know, I mean, I can think of museums in London, which would be completely lost without overseas visitors, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, just on, on that question, the 
the, the shift in mindset to regenerative tourism um, means that we need to make more collaborative and a collaborative approach to decision, decision making. And the idea of a collaborative advantage as opposed to a competitive advantage so that the, the considerations, Bridget, um, voices there, they're legitimate, but that they're brought into the collective decision making process. You know, um, I think that's one thing. But the other thing we've missed is we're speaking about the industry, the supply side in the industry, so regenerative tourism, but there's the question of regenerative travel and regenerative consumption. So there's the consumer side of it. And we're definitely seeing that the, you know, consumers are starting really to operate and make decisions from a sustainability mindset or even a regenerative mindset, but they're struggling to implement that in their lives, into their lifestyles to actually take actions. And they're more and more consciously or subconsciously looking for the industry to provide the solutions. So like Elka said there, if, if visitors are a, are a difficulty for a particular museum or sev several, the museum and, and its partners can come up with solutions and communicate to travelers why these solutions are in place or what they need to do. And I think the, the consumer is more and more open to that and is actually searching for that direction almost from, from the supply side. So just wanted to contribute that. So, so I guess, you know, we're talking here about, as you say, moving towards more co-creative and collaborative solutions where, um, discussions aren't uh, closed off, but where we take into account the overall, however we go to uh, looking at that carrying capacity of a museum, of a town, of a, um, a, of a region or of a place. Um, Brigitte, did that help with your question? I realize we're coming towards the end of things now. Yeah, I, I suppose I'm wanting to just say, the most important thing is to actually reduce the emissions of, of, of long haul flights and so on, you know, the big harm. Um, so it isn't just about carrying capacity. Um, you know, what are the, what are the things we can do together that will actually um, <laughs> uh, mitigate as well as um, regenerate? Yeah. I, I, yes. So I think, I think emissions and flights might be the subject of a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in itself because it's a tiny part of uh, it is a part but it's a small part of tourism so we're coming to the top of the hour and I guess I would just like to ask if we can squeeze in one more question from all of our panelists which is what do, what do you think if you had to sort of pick one thing and it's always difficult to do that what are the most important steps the industry needs to take um, to take advantage of this opportunity of regenerative tourism? I'm, I'm going to answer it because it uh, links directly to Bridget's last point. Um, right now we have a, uh, the, the volume of traffic that we have is because we're not paying the true price of travel. And one of the prices of travel is the cost of, is the emissions price, you know, it's the carbon price. Um, and frankly, if you want, you know, regenerative tourism is fantastic. I can see enormous potential. But if we don't, as, an, as a community, that's a, a broader community of everyone involved in tourism, face up to the fact that we have an immediate responsibility to reduce that carbon impact, whether it's producing less carbon or sequestering more carbon. It's very simple. Unless we put that first and foremost, when we do that, when we start to pay the true cost, of moving 1.3 trillion people internationally around the world, 
then all the rest of this is just purely academic. It's wishful thinking because, so that would be my immediate answer. That the first thing we have to do is address that. That would solve Bridget's problem because I think we'll have fewer trips, but more direct value as a result of each trip. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Elkin, Tina, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, as an immediate action uh, and to come towards uh, regenerative tourism, I would uh, ask uh, to, the, to my colleagues to come out of the silo, come out of your bubble, start seeing you're part of something bigger and that your actions do have an effect on other people. Eh? So try to define your higher purpose because I think tourism has a higher purpose. And then indeed start to co-create, not only collaborate, but really co-create and above all create meaning because I think people are really looking for meaning. Thank you. And Tina. I would say all of all of what Anna and Elke have said, I think probably a word that um, I think a lot about in terms of this is vision, vision, creating a vision for the future we want. And I think when you ask people to imagine their future, it automatically, from a business to a, a government to whatever, it's, it's, it's a positive, regenerative type future we all envision. And then back that up with a partnership approach. Um, it has to be partnership from, from now on. And like Elke said, we've, we've been operating in silos. So that's really the, the mindset transformation, I think, that can achieve the vision we actually all want. No one could argue with the vision. Um, so it's to, to get us working that way. Okay, so we are now at the top of the hour and I just want to thank um, my three panelists. Um, thank you so much, Anna, Elke and Tina for coming on this close to the big C word. I'm still not prepared to say it yet until we get past double digits. Well, I suppose we're kind of into double digits December. Um, I wanna thank Mara and Connector for hosting us all year. This has been a brilliant conversation to finish on. Um, and I hope that you'll come back and join me again because I feel that, you know, there's much more that we can dig into about tourism. Thank you to everybody who's been listening and we will see you again in 2020. Thanks very much, everyone. Mm -hmm.